A Comedy of Eras, first published April 9th, 2021. Many people do not appreciate the skill of stand-up comedians and performers, and in particular their ability to seemingly ad-lib vast portions of their shows that are actually well rehearsed and worked out in advance. An example of this technique was apparently evidenced by the late great Frankie Howard, whose catchphrases included a series of non-verbal means of communication and random inane noises, all of which appeared to be done in such a way that the audience would think that they were seeing an entirely unique performance when in fact every single movement and uttering was completely scripted. I first noticed this phenomenon subsequent to seeing Newcastle-upon-Tyne native Ross Noble in the Ulster Hall in Belfast. The show was the first time I understood that the rows of seats are so close together there so as to prevent you literally ROFLing and causing a fire hazard of yourself. I belly laughed so much during that 120 minutes I thought I'd have worked my stomach out to such a degree that I'd be heading home with a six-pack. I had seen Ross on the television a bit over the years, but not to any great degree as, like Northern Ireland comic Jim Owen, he was living for much of his time in Australia. It's only when you see some of these people in the live setting of a theatre that you appreciate why they were let on the box in the first place. What totally blew me away was that within a couple of minutes of starting, Mr Noble started riffing off an audience member and came up with about 15 or 20 minutes of banter that could only have come from that interaction. And the show continued that way until it was finished. I was amazed by the experience. I thought, well I knew he was going to be good but that was seriously impressive. And also I thought, I wonder what he meant to talk about tonight that he plainly didn't have time to do so because he was busy dealing with all these improvised gags. Some 15 years earlier, I had seen another late great of the comedy circuit, Sean Hughes, in the same Belfast venue and been wowed by him in a show that followed the expected format of a well-worked-out routine professionally delivered. The only audience interaction I remember him making was asking if there were any cohabitating couples in the audience. A sizable amount of roars and cheers went up and then he asked if there were any single people living alone, to which there was a deathly silence. Sean used the contrast in the two responses to illustrate the point that when you're single and you live on your own, you can forget how to speak. So you can tell that that show was much more cerebral than Ross's. But I became such a devotee of Sean's that I even joined his fan club to keep up to date with what he was doing. His comic musings would be sent out every week or so by his erstwhile assistant Sue who would compile a stapled book of black and white typed A4 pages that I would look forward to reading. As the common courtesy I was ingrained with dictated, I would always send a little thank you note and as a result we became quite friendly despite never meeting. I don't believe that I was the only member of the Sean Hughes fan club, but I did seem to win all the competitions. When he died in October 2017, Sue sent me a copy of the order of service from his funeral. It was in glorious colour and in A5 and I was incredibly honoured. Another comic who I raved about for years for their live performance was former Hellraiser Dave Chappelle. Not a big name here, but he'd started to have some success in the 90s and had begun making movies at the time I saw him. I was visiting friends in upstate New York, and we decided we would test the limits of the city that never sleeps by heading there for a night without booking hotel accommodation. 
The mission, therefore, was just to keep ourselves occupied until we could get a train back out of town. Around 11pm and on a midweek evening, we found ourselves and about a half a dozen other patrons in a comedy club hosted by the intriguingly named Louis Schaefer, which I assumed a few years later may have been a play on the word Lucifer. And looking around, we did think that we were in for a hellish couple of hours. There was a comic who was in the middle of their set, and there were two more on the bill, but before the next one was allowed to start, Louis came on stage to announce an unexpected guest edition. Dave Chappelle, old friend of the club, was going to do a few minutes. Dave shuffled under the spotlight and took the microphone and looked out at the audience. Well, I think he intended to look out, but he was obviously so under the influence of alcohol or narcotics that his eyeballs appeared to be being operated independently from his brain. Or to put it another way, like a cockeyed teacher, he was unable to control his pupils. Boom, boom. The couple of minutes turned into about 75, and myself and my friends did indeed have to pick ourselves up from under the table we were sat at, having been unable to avoid rolling around in fits of laughter. It was a magical experience, being that we were not expecting much from the star of Half Baked, who was showing he could entertain us whilst in fact completely baked. The memories of the event kept my friends and I warm for the rest of the night as we marvelled at how he was able to keep talking while it's clearly so non-compass meant us. The early hours of the morning were also memorable for us watching two of New York's finest get into a fracas with a homeless guy as we watched from a booth inside the corner cafe made famous by being a location in the sitcom Seinfeld. And additionally, by us being woken up after we'd fallen asleep on the subway by a heavy-set drunk guy singing very loudly Rockmaster Scott and the Dynamic Three's 1984 hip-hop anthem The Roof Is On Fire. I had never heard it before, but I have never forgotten it. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire! Twenty years later and I was there, this time in an audience of many thousands, to see Dave Chappelle in Dublin. Both of us fully sober this time, where, like my memories of Sean Hughes, Dave was measured and professional, funny and insightful, but the true magic wasn't there. I enjoyed the performance, but I don't think I'd pine for 20 years to see him again. I found myself in a hotel bar in Manchester City Centre after a legal conference a couple of years after having seen Ross Noble for the first time. A lot of wine consumed since the formalities were over and the crack was getting going when I spied in another part of the bar the familiar flowing locks and distinctive facial features of the Geordie genius. He was reclining in a comfortable sofa alongside three rising comedy stars who have since all become household names. I was not in the least bit interested in them, but I was compelled to go over and gush my appreciation to Ross. I meekly entered near where he was and did that cliché, humble, bowing, scraping type thing where I was almost doffing my cap as I apologised for interrupting them, but I just had to tell him how much I enjoyed the occasion of seeing him in Belfast a couple of years earlier, and it was like the most incredible thing to witness, and well, that's it, and you're just great and so funny, like he'd never heard that before, but he was polite and gracious in thanking me for saying it. Well, that's all I wanted to say, and well, other than, can't wait to see you next time you're back, and you can guess what he said next, can't you? Um, I was just there last week. As my face fell, I could see the reflection of my red embarrassed cheeks in Rob Beckett's glitteringly white teeth as he gave me that look that showed he sympathised with my shame. 
oh, my, I can't believe I missed that. Oh, I'll just have to wait the next time and uh, and keep a better watch out. Oh, mm, goodbye. I said, trying to recover and beat a hasty retreat, but mortified all the same. A couple of weeks later, I bought the audio recording for the previous tour, Things, performed in Brisbane, to remind myself of how funny Ross could be as I was still a bit scundered even then by my foolish statement. And sure enough, it was funny. But not as funny as when I'd heard it all in Belfast. Yes, contrary to my impression at the time, none of the things he had said were improvised at all. Right down to the bit in the zoo. You had to be there, you can check it out. (laughs) I had been comprehensively duped by a consummate performer. But, pardon the pun for the most noble of reasons, making people feel good, to add something positive to the world. Yes, he got paid for it, but he gave great value in return. It's a pity that so many other talented individuals choose to use their skills at manipulation to simply obtain an advantage for themselves, to set back the world rather than help it move forward. As Sean Hughes once tried to point out, it's a constant battle between the mumbo-jumbo we get fed and common sense that we have, and we have to figure out which to listen to. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.